The scripture reading today is from Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house, and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, Israel. If at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and if that nation I warn repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it is evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended for it. Now therefore, say to the people of Judah and those living in Jerusalem, This is what the Lord says, Look, I am preparing a disaster for you and devising a plan against you. So turn away from your evil ways, each one of you, and reform your ways and your actions. This is the word of the Lord. There are several important truths about God that we can learn from this passage, and what I'd like to do this morning is to point out three of them, three, three things that we learn about God here. And the first is this. In this passage, we learn about God's sovereignty. What is, what is sovereignty? Sovereignty is a combination of power and authority. You could say power plus authority equals sovereignty. So, if, for example, if you have the power to do something but you don't have the authority, the right to do it, you don't have sovereignty. And, and by the same measure, if, if you are within your rights to do something, you have that authority but you're not able to bring it to pass, again, you don't have sovereignty. To have sovereignty, you must possess both power and authority. Well, listen, the Bible reveals that God has absolute sovereignty. God, God has unlimited power. Did you know there's nothing that is impossible with God? God has unlimited power and God has unlimited authority. God never has to ask anyone's permission to do anything. God, the God of the Bible has absolute sovereignty. Now, you say, where, where do we learn that from this passage? Well, God, God says to Jeremiah, verse 2, He says, go down to the potter's house, and there I will give you my message. God says, you know the workshop, the place where the potter makes all the pottery. Go down there and just watch, and I will teach something to you. So Jeremiah goes to this workshop. He sees the potter sitting at his wheel, making something out of the clay, and what does he see? He sees an example of sovereignty. The potter has sovereignty over the clay. The, pot, the potter has power to, to shape that lump of clay into anything he wants, 
and he has the authority to do it. It's his clay. He can do whatever he wants with it, right? He has sovereignty. And then God says to Jeremiah, he says, Jeremiah, that's how it is with me and the nations of the world. God says, I, I, I have the power and the authority to do whatever I want with the nations of the, of the world. If I want to raise a nation up, I will do it. If I want to put a nation down, I will do it. God says, all the king's horses, all the king's men, all the armies of all the rulers of all the nations of, of the entire world cannot stop me from doing what I choose to do. God, God is sovereign. Daniel chapter 4 says, the, the Almighty does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand. No one can say to him, what have you done? He's sovereign. He is in control. And I don't know if you realize this, but that's really good news. When, when I was a, a child in elementary school, I had a recurring nightmare. And you'll think, I, I, yes, I was a weird kid, but every, every two, three months, I would wake up in the middle of the night with my heart racing and breathing really hard because of this, this bad dream I kept having. And in, in my dream, I, I was in a school bus near the back of the bus with all my little friends, and we were doing what kids do on a school bus. We were fooling around, making noise, playing, you know, just not, not paying attention. And as we're driving down the road, playing in the back of the school bus, in my dream, I would look to the front of the bus, and there was no driver. So sometimes there were different variations. Sometimes the driver would have had a heart attack and had fallen onto the floor. Other times the driver mysteriously would have disappeared. But this was my dream. I'm with a bunch of children in a bus hurtling down the street, moments from crashing, and no one's driving the bus. That's what I used to dream. Now, I stopped dreaming that sometime in my teenage years. But I still have that feeling once in a while. You ever feel like no one's driving the bus? Like no, like, like no one's hands are on the wheel. Just it, like, you, you ever feel like everything is just out of control? Your, your family's out of control. Your health is out of control. Your finances are out of control. You're, you're, the, you ever feel like the whole world is just out of control, right? You ever feel that way? I suspect, I suspect that the prophet Jeremiah felt that way frequently in his life. Jeremiah was a Hebrew prophet who was born in the 7th century B.C. He was born at a time when his nation, the nation of Judah, was steadily drifting farther and farther and farther away from God. Jeremiah and a handful of other faithful prophets tried to warn the people. They, they told them, listen, please don't stray from the covenant. Don't turn your back on, on God. We'll be destroyed by the Babylonians. But no one would listen. And so this was Jeremiah's life. With every passing year, it just felt like the world got darker and darker and darker. It just felt to him like everything was out of control. In chapter 4 of, of this book, Jeremiah described what his world looked like to him. This is what he said. He said, I looked at the earth and it was formless and empty. I looked at the heavens and their light was gone. I looked at the mountains and they were quaking. All the hills were swaying. I looked and there were no people. Every bird in the sky had flown away. I looked and the fruitful land was a desert and all the towns lay in ruins. That's, that's the way this, this man's 
That's the way his world just looked to him. It just looked like everything was out of control. And then one afternoon at the potter's house, God whispered into the ear of his prophet, and he said, Jeremiah, I got this. I got this. I am in control. He, he, God just said, listen, Jeremiah, this nation to me is like clay in the hands of a potter. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. I am in control. And Christian, listen, I really believe that through this passage today, God wants to say that same thing to you. God, God, listen, in your health, God is sovereign. In your family, God is sovereign. In your job, God is in control. In your church, in your finances, in this world, the sovereign God with absolute power, absolute authority, your God, Christian, is in control. Someone should say amen to that. That's good news. Even the nations of the world are, are, are to God are like clay in the hands of a potter. He, he is in control. So what do we learn about God in this passage? First, we learn about God's sovereignty. Secondly, we learn about God's creativity. So, so God says to Jeremiah, go down to this workshop, go to the potter's house, just watch what's going on down there. I will give my message to you. And so verse 3, Jeremiah says, so I went down to the potter's house and saw him working at the wheel. Verse 4, but the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. Something was going wrong with the pot. So the potter formed it into another part shaping it as seemed best to him. Verse 5, Then the word of the Lord came to me. He said, Can I not do with you, Israel, as this potter does, declares the Lord? So the, the potter that uh, Jeremiah saw that day was a very creative, creative person, and you, you would expect that from any artisan, right? This is one of those people that just excelled at creativity. And as this part, potter was working with, with the ceramics, as he was shaping the clay, um, he noticed that something was starting to go wrong with the vessel he was making. So what did he do? He just <sighs> smushed the clay back down on onto the wheel. But notice, he did not throw the clay into the garbage, did he? Out, out, of, out, of the, out of the same lump of clay, the potter shaped something new. Out of, out of the same clay that was marred and messed up and misshapen, this creative artisan, he made something new. And God said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, you see that? I can do that with Judah. I, I can do that with the same thing with my people. Yes, they've gone the wrong direction. Yes, they followed the wrong road. They've turned their backs on me. They've wandered after idols. But God says, I am creative. I am an artist. God says, if they will just humble themselves before me, turn from their evil ways, come back to me. God says, you just watch. I can make them new. Out of the same lump of clay, our creative God can make something new. Now, let me ask you, <laughs> did you know that God can do that with any person's life, 
any person. I mean, listen, isn't that what the gospel promises us? So 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, do you know this verse? I bet some of you do. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this, if anyone, and the word anyone, it really is, it means that anyone, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone turns from their sin and trusts in Christ, how does it go? It says he or she is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new is come. When we, listen, when we turn to Christ, even if like that pot on the potter's wheel, even if we are marred, even if we are misshapen, even if we've made some really bad decisions, you ever make bad decisions? Even if our lives have not been taking the shape that we know God in, intended for them to have, listen, our God is an artist. Our God is creative. He doesn't just cast us aside. If we turn to him and we trust in his son, what does he do? Out of the same messed up lump of clay, he makes something new. Some of you have read the Bible. You know that you see that. Don't you see that God doing that throughout Scripture with people's lives? For example, there's that place where God took a, a, a greedy tax collector named Zacchaeus and made him into an amazingly generous person. There's that place where God took a coward, a cowardly denier of Christ named Peter, and he made him into a bold proclaimer of the gospel. There's another place in the Bible where God took a broken woman, a broken, bitter woman named Naomi, and he turned her into someone who had a testimony of joy, a testimony of hope, there's, there's that place where God took uh, Mary Magdalene. M Mary Magdalene was so broken and just so, so devastated by, by things that had happened in her life. The way Luke describes her, it says that she had been possessed by seven demons. God took someone as broken as Mary, and he made her the first eyewitness of the risen Lord. I mean, you see this th throughout the Bible. God, just, a, just like a potter can take a misshapen, marred lump of clay and make it into something new, God is as creative as that. God does that. Listen, he does that with us. Has he done that with you? No matter how marred, how, how messed up we might be, this is our creative God. Amen? Again, I need some help up here, guys. This is good stuff. We see here God's sovereignty. He's in control. You may not feel it. He's in control. We see God's creativity. There's no situation beyond his redemptive work. And we see here God's priority. What, what I mean is, what, what we see here is we see what it is that God values most. When God is going to take a, a lump of clay and, and shape it into something beautiful, what... What does God value most? What is he looking for? So, for example, if you look at this passage, when God looks at the nations of the world and God decides whether to lift a nation up or push a nation down, what is God looking for? What does he value? What's his priority? Let, let me ask this. Does God, does God value wealthy nations more than poor nations? No. Does God value powerful nations with big armies more than dependent nations? Of course not. Does, does God value scientifically advanced nations over those parts of the world where people are still trying to develop things? No, he doesn't. What, what if we were to ask those questions about the lives of an individual? Let me ask you, does God, does God love you more if you are young and attractive? 
Does God, does God value you more highly if you've been successful in a career? Does, does God see you as more important if you are married with children than if you're not? No. What is God looking for in, in the lives of those whom he was, will shape into something beautiful? Well, you see the answer to that, God's priority, verse 7 to 10. Here's what God says. He says, if at any time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, or destroyed, and if that nation I warned repents of its evil, then I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster I had planned. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I'll reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. So listen, what God values in our lives, more, more than success, more than beauty, more than wealth, more than strength, here's what God values. God, God values humble, broken, repentant, obedient trust in Him. That's what He's looking for. As he, look, as he, he tells Jeremiah, as he looks at the nations of the world, as he, as he looks at the people, the individuals of the world, God is looking for humble, broken, repentant, obedient trust. Second, Second Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. In Isaiah 66, verse 2, God says, These are the ones I look on with favor, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at My word. James 4, verse 6 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Psalm 51, 17 says, A broken and contrite heart God will not despise. You see this throughout the Bible. As, as God looks at the people of the world, He's not impressed by celebrity. He's not overawed by wealth. He doesn't care about talent. What's he looking for? Humble, broken, repentant, obedient. Trust. You, you, you'll notice this passage ends. It ends in kind of a harsh way. It ends in, in, in verse 11 with a warning and with an invitation to the people of Judah. They, they are warned that disaster awaits them because of the path that they're on. And they are invited to do what? To reform their ways and their actions. Now, implicit in that invitation is a promise. The promise God was making to them is that they would just, even though they had a track record that was as bad as you could imagine, they'd been wandering from God for years. God says, it doesn't matter what happened in the past. I'm talking about today. God says if they would just humble themselves before God and stop resisting Him and turn from their rebellion, just like that potter, God would build them into something new. God would forgive and restore them. That was the promise. And this promise hinged on their response. How would they respond? See, the, 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 the question that faced the people of Judah through this word from Jeremiah the question that faced them was, what kind of clay would they be in the potter's hands? Would they be hard and dry and brittle and, and resistant? 
Or would they be clay that was uh, soft and pliant and open to what he wanted to do? And you know that's the same question before us today. Every one of us, that's the question that really more than anything will shape what God does in our life today and this next week. What kind of clay are you in the hands of the potter? Will, will, Will you allow God to shape you? Will you fight against him? Will you be open to his work? Will you resist his work? God is not looking for the smartest. God is not looking for the strongest. He's not looking for the richest. He is not looking for the coolest. He's he's looking for those who will be clay in his hands, humble and repentant, open to what he wants to do, ready for him to shape them. So I think that this message invites us just to quietly pray to God and ask him to shape us into that kind of clay in which he can work. So would you pray with me now? Father, we thank you that your desire is not to destroy. Your desire is not to reject. Your desire is to shape us, no matter what's happened in the past, to shape us into something new and beautiful, to do new and beautiful things in our lives. And you are asking us to trust you, to trust you, not resist you. And so I pray for each one of us here that you would show us if in whatever area of our life we are still not open to you working, I pray that you would address that today by your Spirit, that you would remind us that you are a God who loves people like us so much that you gave your Son for us so that we would trust, we would allow you to work, and we pray great creative potter that you would shape each one of us into a vessel of honor for your use, holy, precious, beautiful in your eyes. Would you, Holy Spirit, break down any kind of resistance to that in our hearts that the potter might shape us for his glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.